Hey guys, welcome to a first time episode for us. We is the first time ever doing a live stream. This should be uh, somewhat interesting. Hopefully, uh, it doesn't go as terrible as the last time I live streamed something. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to this fair life podcast. Uh, this fair life is all about uh, living independently, becoming um, free from government control through your own independence. And uh, as usual, uh, we are talking about a different uh, subject today. We try to stay all along the lines of stuff that is relevant to our homestead type people. Today is going to be talking about small farm uh, and homestead livestock. We're, gonna, we're not talking about weird stuff like emus or kangaroos and stuff like that. I mean, probably the weirdest thing we have is uh, guinea pigs, which are kind of often overlooked. But we're going to start at one time, one side and just kind of work our way through everything. Um, if you do are listening to us live, uh, please chime in. Say hi. We will respond to your messages as they come in. And we're happy to have you all. Hey, guys. How are you? We're happy to be here today. Uh, like Eric mentioned, we are focusing on livestock and how to raise your own animals, um, healthy, organically, what to feed them. You know, the fact that you know what you're feeding them and what they're eating, you know, it always gives you peace of mind. So we're going to talk about various uh, things that involve everything, raising animals at home to either, you know, just, I mean, your standard pet, if you want to keep them as pets, but, you know, obviously the whole premise of our show is to is for survival right how to raise your own livestock how to um butcher and process your own livestock and feed your family for a year's time you know just depending on what it is that you butcher yeah. so um eric will get into all that uh but the first things that we're going to talk about are going to be um pretty much all of my animals are pets <laughs> <laughs> and that is his downfall yeah pretty much all my animals are pets I want to make sure that all of my animals have only one bad day in their entire life. I want the best day of their life to be the day that they come and live on the farm and only have one bad day, and that's freezer camp day. Other than that, I want them to be happiest critters I could possibly be because happy critters put on weight. They don't get sick. They reproduce. They make nice, healthy food to feed uh, my family and friends. And stuff like that, man. So, I mean, the healthiest, happiest critters that I can possibly get are what I want to raise personally. Yep. And when you raise your own animals, for me, you know what your, how your animal was treated. You know the care it received, uh, what it was fed, like I mentioned, and then overall the animal's health. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I have to drink some beer. I've had a long day. Ah, also, I don't do podcasts sober. You guys will figure it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not naturally as talkative. Um, let's start with, uh, mammals. Mammals are fun to start with. Everybody wants to start with mammals. And I just mentioned guinea pigs, so let's start with guinea pigs. Guinea pigs are stupid easy to raise for meat. This is just regular old pet guinea pigs. Don't, if you're going to raise them for meat, don't do the long hair ones. Um, you can if you want, but they're just a mess. They, they, they pick up everything into their, their hair, uh, and it's just a bunch of mess. Now, guinea pigs originally from Peru. They are the Peruvian cavi or whatever they were originally called. Uh, and people still call them cavies. But they're stinking easy to take care of. Like, super, super easy. If you go on 
uh, Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, things like that. You can just find them for free. People get them. They realize that this little basically sausage roll doesn't do much but whistle occasionally and run around its cage. Um, the only downfall of guinea pigs is they require a lot of vitamin C. Guinea pigs are stupid easy to take care of as far as vitamin C because they like fermented foods. Guinea pigs love to be drunk. So if you ferment some foods a little bit, you can usually bring out some vitamin C in almost everything. You can feed them some oranges, orange slice, orange pills, citrus waste, uh, lemongrass, stuff like that that's going to have vitamin C in it naturally. The cage requirements for guinea pigs is about uh, anything about 18 inches tall. Guinea pigs cannot jump. They are not athletic animals in any sense of the word. They can run. They go forwards. They run backwards. Uh, and that is it. That is the extent of their um, pretty much everything. They don't really burrow. They don't, they're not going to dig under your cage to get out. Uh, traditionally, they're, they're literally just kept in homes. And the homes have like a little like 12-inch tall like uh, threshold that you just step over to get into your house. And then as you eat, like, food, you just toss it off your table to guinea pigs eat it. Uh, and then they just live under the furniture and make babies. Uh, and then people eat them. So that's just basically traditionally how they do it. Now, untraditionally, because guinea pigs aren't going to be able to reach anything about six, four to six inches above the ground and, uh, and higher, they're not even going to be able to touch it. So these are, these are animals that are not going to be able to just destroy your garden. They're not going to be able to destroy your orchard. They're not going to destroy anything else. They also go back to their home every evening. They are extremely easy to handle and raise, very similar to chickens, except they don't have to have a place to roost or a fancy, like, uh, nest box. Just like a, a short, squat chicken tractor type uh, thing will work perfectly fine for them. Uh, if you wanted to, there's a couple of farmers now uh, that I've seen who are doing the, raising them and then putting them in their... Um, what do you call those? The vineyards. And then let the little guys out. And they're running around in the vineyard all day long and uh, just munching the grass down, keeping the weeds down, keeping everything down. And then they just come right back when the guy whistles. They come back and they go put themselves back to bed. So guinea pigs there. Now, guinea pigs are not going to get huge. They do not reproduce extremely fast. They, are, uh, they have like two babies, like twice a year. Um, the babies hit the ground running. They're not, they're not born, like, helpless. They have little eyes open. They're adorable. A secondary income stream from your guinea pigs is going to be selling them for pets for people. And then, uh, then charging the people to take the guinea pig back when they're tired of it. Okay? So you're going to make money on both ends. You're going to make money selling the guinea pig for 40 50 bucks as a pet. And then you're going to make money charging them 20 bucks to take the guinea pig back off their hands. Uh, which, you know, so it's basically you just let them handle the guinea pig for 60 bucks for a couple of months so they're bored of it, fat it up, and they give it back to you. Processing a guinea pig is super, super easy. It's going to probably get us some hate mail. A lot of people don't like to talk about, uh, you know, murdering small, cute, and fuzzy animals. But uh, they're very, very easy. Uh, I just uh, cause a, basically what's called a cervical dissection. I break the neck. Pop, pop the little head, uh, just grab onto their body, grab onto the, to their head, just pull. takes about two or three pounds of pressure, and they're done. Uh, and then you can use a knife and cut up the middle of them. 
and then they're, they're, they're all their fur and everything comes off as a sock. It comes, and then I cut the heads off because they're not a very attractive carcass with the heads on. Um, and then all the guts just fall out. Now, they have a couple of stomachs. They're more like little tiny cows than they are as a rodent. They're not even a rodent family, really. They're their own little family. Uh, and they're quite tasty. They're somewhere between, like, rabbit and beef. Um, I have not had a problem eating them. I don't think I've made you eat guinea pig. No, you have not. Not they're yet. they're not disgusting. But they I had don't... that first thought, like, is it rodent? Like, no, it's not know, a rodent. So. They're their own thing. Um, they're not disgusting. They're not slimy. They're not. It's not a weird meat. It's not stringy. It's uh, it's somewhere between uh, rabbit, which is dang near chicken, um, and beef. Uh, so it's really really easy to take care of. It's really easy to harvest. Really and very inexpensive, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. You can start off. With zero dollars with your with your guinea pigs, just rescue a bunch of them off Facebook. Everybody's giving them away. I just went on the local the local Facebook, uh, and there was like 16, 17 guinea pigs for free. Right. Um, just people wanted to get rid of them with free cage, free everything, whatever. So just, if you're in a situation where you want to, you know, self sustain, have your own food source, um, but don't necessarily have the means to purchase a big livestock animal such as a cow and things like that. And then worry about the feed and all that. Then this would be an alternative. Yeah, you're doing them in your backyard. You can do guinea pigs in the backyard of pretty much everything. I wouldn't do it in the backyard of an apartment complex, but a duplex is perfectly fine. What about um, the suburbs? Like, are there any? Oh yeah, regulations no, no, there's no. Any you can have? No, or? there's not any regulations as far as I don't think uh, anybody even actually knows what guinea pigs are a food item. Now, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of what do you those ethnic stores that are around that will love to get a line on guinea pig meat. It is because you've got a lot of people that, especially if you live closer to a larger metropolitan area, they like the Ethiopian food type places or would love to get a hold of a constant line of guinea pigs. Um, yeah, any sort of Asian places are going to would love to get a hold of a constant line of guinea pigs. So if you were going to try to turn it into an in in income stream and you didn't necessarily want to eat your guinea pigs, you could uh, just sell them to them, and you know you're probably going to get you know twenty bucks a guinea pig, and then they're going to sell it for whatever the heck they want. Uh, but you know it's very very low input. Like I haven't even mentioned feeding them anything. Mm -hmm. Don't 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 feed them grains. Don't feed them anything like that. They're basically born diabetics. If you feed them grains and stuff, like trying to fatten them up with that, they're, they're, it's just going to cause a big problem. Uh, you'll, you'll cause them to go have diabetic issues, go blind, everything else. The best way to, to fatten them up is just mow, mow your yard and dump your grass clippings in there. Yeah, you can keep them in an area with just one layer of cinder blocks. Like I said, they are the least, uh, like, um, athletic of, of, of regularly worldwide kept uh, farm animals. They're, they're not athletic at all. <laughs> they're cute. And that, that's probably the, the, the cuteness factor of them is probably what keeps them off. The of, biggest heartbreak, yeah. Yeah, it keeps them off of most uh, American dinner plates. Uh, one step from uh, guinea pigs for me are going to be rabbits. Love rabbits. Can't say enough about them. Rabbits are not a rodent. Rabbits are a lagomorph. They are their own thing. Just like guinea pigs, they are in their own little species. Rabbits are awesome. Uh, did we ever even buy rabbit food? 
when last time we had a bunch of rabbits, I think we just, I just went out every day with a scythe and just cut yeah. a bunch of grass and weeds mm -hmm. from the garden and, and we just fed them vegetable scraps and, you know, I mean, occasionally we gave them cabbage uh, heads. I mean, yeah. we had such a surplus of things that we'd grow that it was no problem keeping mm -hmm. that closed loop, um, you know, thought process, you know, everything that we grow, everything that we have as far as scraps and we turn around and feed it to our animals. So um yeah it was a lot of scraps of kitchen scraps and stuff you know mostly uh garden scraps yeah there was really nothing at all that was hard that was difficult i don't think we ever actually uh bought actual rabbit food uh no, when i, I had that either no i mean sometimes when we had milking does so you got bucks and you got does right uh so the bucks are the boys and the does are the girls uh you when they had milking does or like they were that had babies, I would give them a little chicken scratch here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the winter, yeah, just a little bit here and there, just to give them a. But they put on weight, like fat, really, really easily. Uh, rabbits are stupid easy to take care of. Rabbits are a lot more athletic <laughs> than, than guinea pigs. Yes, they are. They're going to be able to jump and climb and dig and be a general nuisance. Uh, so you, a lot of times you're going to look at the breeder cages for these guys. My standard breeder cage is about 18 inches long by uh, 30 inches deep by about 18 inches tall. And then uh, on the back side of that is a, is a 24 by 24 nest box. So the total length is about 4 feet long by 18 inches wide by 18 inches tall. And those are um, up on stilts to keep them away from critters that are on the ground. And uh, I just use these, I guess, what they call concrete mixing tubs that you can buy from pretty much anywhere. Or you can use a tarp if you're real brave. But I want all the poo from the rabbits. So I just have like half-inch screen, half-inch hardwire cloth. And then they poo, and it just falls straight through uh, down to these tubs that are below each cage. And they do like 99% of their pooing uh, out there where the water and the food is towards the front of the cage and that is where i collect it all so uh it's really really easy rabbits are stinking easy to take care of to breed rabbits you do not take the boy and introduce them into the girl's cage that makes a big fight big problems they're almost always in estrus so uh, and they're almost always ready to go like you know hump like rabbits it's a thing so they're almost it's uh their, their breeding cycle is Pretty much constantly ready. They, they, I think they only have like four or five days per month that they're not like in estrus or, or able to be pregnant, impregnated. So your your chances are extremely high that any time you can take your female and put him or put her in the male's cage. And then they'll get right to business. Uh, male rabbits are not subtle. They are quite uh, vigorous. And <laughs> they don't they don't really play around. Then he'll get right after it. Uh, you only need one male rabbit to and for per operation. Right? Uh, I'm not a big on a single point of failure, so I try to have two male rabbits. But you you can keep the males together, but you have to take one of them out when they get when you introduce a female, or the boys are going to fight over who gets her. Right? Um, male rabbits are super super nice to each other. Female rabbits are not nice to each other. They do not get along very well. They are very territorial. Uh, yeah, they're 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 kind of mean. Um, so 
as far as that goes. It's pretty easy, and then you're going to put her back in her cage and then just forget about her until she poops out a whole bunch of babies. How are you going to know that she's going to have a bunch of babies? And she'll start pulling out all her hair. Uh, she pulls out the hair on her dewlap, so she'll get this big fat dewlap that goes around. It's like a second chin kind of looking thing, and then she'll pull out all the hair on that. And when you open up the back of the next box, next box and look in there, and start to get hair in it. And you know that she's going to have babies in the next twenty-four to thirty-six hours. And then don't play with the babies. You can open up the bag of the next box and look at them. Don't pick them up for at least like three or four days, just so that she gets used to having them. Rabbits have this nasty tendency to occasionally do infanticide and eat their babies if the babies are disturbed within the first, like, 72 to 96 hours. So after you're past that three, first three to four days, uh, I wait usually a week before I want to go in there and pick one of the babies up and take a picture of it, just because I want to make sure that I'm past that, that, that period. Um, also, it seems to be tied to a protein deficiency or a calcium deficiency. So giving your bunnies cuddle bone... Or um, just a regular bone to chew on. There's a soup bone. Well, it's boiled real good. You don't want to give any of the meat in there with them because they don't respond super nice to dead animals. But uh, they, but that's plenty of calcium. Lasts them forever. I like to automate everything. So I don't automate their feeding because remember we're not really buying rabbit food. If, it, if we had to buy a bunch of rabbit food, it negates the purpose of growing rabbits when they're free. Uh, but I do like the little water nipples. They fit onto a 3 8 inch uh, like polytubing, and they clip into that little half-inch wire mesh on the front of the cage. So you just put your little nipple through, and it clips on there with a little spring, and it doesn't come off. And then up on top of the cage, I, had, what, I just put like one of those 27-gallon uh, totes. Right? It's like mm -hmm. one of those black yep, totes. Yeah, I would fill that up every day. Yeah, I mean, during the middle of the summer, they'd go through one of those. Mm -hmm. yeah. But we had, you know, we had, what, 16 or 17 breeding females. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had a whole bunch of rabbits. But they'd go through one of those. So our daughter's having a great time over there. Uh, but they'd go through one of the, the 27 gallons of water a day. But there was a whole bunch of rabbits. Like, we're talking, we had our grow-out pen, which was just, a big, basically, chicken brooder on stilts that uh, we'd have, you know, 30 or 40 rabbits in. They were just growing out. All they're doing is just putting on weight. And then uh, we'd have our 16 uh, females and, uh, you know, two males. So all together, you know, everybody's probably drinking a, a little over a quarter of a gallon of water a day during the heat of the summer in Texas. So it wasn't like it was really difficult to keep them watered. Mm -hmm. And if we, if you wanted to, you could do it as big of a, um, big of a tote as you wanted. You could build a little platform and put an IBC tote up there, for those two hundred gallon, you know, totes, and then just water them once a month. <laughs> so it's really not that big of a deal. I did really enjoy harvesting food for them. I just took my uh, scythe and then I just siped some grass. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, really. and. Speaking of the closed loop concept, so then we would use the uh, rabbit poop, and we would you know use that in our garden. It goes, yeah, it's a it's a four 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 fertilizer, uh, but it is a very slow release fertilizer, and you can put it directly onto your plants or directly into the soil around your plants. Doesn't matter; it will not harm them at all. It's one of the only fertilizers that you can take directly from 
the animal and put directly on your plants and it won't bother them at all. And it is great for soil. Mm -hmm. If you want to start a worm farm, you can do it just straight with the rabbit poo and you don't need to add soil or anything else. They live just fine in it. Especially those uh, red wigglers, which are great uh, for, you know, bait, but also great for your, your, your garden and your farm. You can make you can make a pretty penny off of selling those guys. All right, what do we got? Uh, rando animals next. We got goats. So we're just kind of basically starting from smaller and getting bigger yeah. here. <laughs> we got goats. All right, uh, I love goats a lot. Uh, I like the little pygmy goats. I have I a hard... love the pygmy goats too, and I do not like to process those. I have a hard time wanting to eat big, big little pygmy goats. Um, like. They're just so personable. Now, the original uh, pygmy goat is actually a dairy goat. Interesting. Yeah, they produce, like, uh, what is it, like up to three-quarters to one gallon of milk a day. Um, so they, they produce about half of what a regular, a large Nubian type or, or, or a saying or something like that, a large uh, milk goat will do. Um, so, but then you have, like, they've been so far inbred. Now, everybody's bred them with everything else. So they're not like, it's going to be kind of hard-pressed to find a true dairy uh, dairy pygmy goat unless you're actually looking for it, right? So it's going to be kind of hard for you to go, from, for you to go out there and find one. Uh, there are still out there pygmy lines that are bred for milking. A lot of them, though, they've been, they've been, uh, Breeding them to be bonier, hardier, and they're using them as kind of like a dual purpose for meat and vegetable control, vegetation control, and uh, evidently goat yoga, which is a thing. <laughs> it is definitely yeah, a thing. which is a thing. So, uh, pygmy goats are super sweet. They're super easy. They're super cheap. They're great to go. I would stay away from the myop myopic or the myotic or the ones that are uh, the the fainting goats. I'd stay away from those guys. Uh, they're fun, but overall, myotonic. Myotonic. Yeah, I think I think I just called them short-sighted with the myopic goats, <laughs> the myotonic goats. So thank you, child. But uh, they uh, they have an issue where they get scared, their muscles lock up, but they release adrenaline and they just fall over and they're paralyzed for a little while. It is. Absolutely the opposite of survival strategy. You can't get any further away from that. The animal, the, 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 the big giant beast walks up to you and you go, ah! and then just freeze and fall over. And does it's, that affect the meat, like that adrenaline? Uh, I don't think it does. Okay. Does um, it get tougher? No, it's, it's, it's a nerve thing versus an actual release of adrenaline. Mm. It's just their nerves with any, release, any tiny spurt of adrenaline and they just like freeze up and fall over. So it's easy to scare them, clap your hands loud, lightning, and then they fall over in the rain and drown in a puddle. Like, they're... I need a hug. You need a hug? Come, Come here. here. Get, a hug. Get a hug. Get a hug. Oh, squish the baby. Okay. So, uh... Okay. The little bitty... The little bitty, uh... I'd stay away from the fainting goats unless you just wanted to have one to do... I don't know, fainting goat things with... But I would worry about their genes getting into your goat herd, right? Um, it's not difficult to have a uh, a small herd of pygmy goats. You need just 
Billy goats do smell. They like to pee on themselves. That's just, it's their hobby. It's what they do. Uh, so it's not super cool to have those guys around peeing on themselves. Not fun. Zero out of ten. Do not recommend. However, you can almost always find somebody that has a billy goat that you can borrow, but you make sure that they take it back. <laughs> or just drop it off tied to the you know, front door. Or you can uh, take your goats to go visit a billy goat. Uh, I don't like to keep them. They make great pets, and a lot of them are super, super sweet, but they just reek. They smell. And then if you have a billy around, the... If you have a billy around, sorry, the baby, the, the milk will take on a, uh, a taint-type taste from that uh, the billy. It kind of picks up that no. skanky, uriny type of smell. No. It's really not good. So if you've ever had goat milk from someone that you bought locally and it tasted off or weird, it's because they had the billy around. Um so I always recommend if you want to breed your goats, take them somewhere for a conjugal visit. You know, just leave them there for a week and uh, bring them back. And you're good to go. Uh, now, boyer goats are the big meat goats. Those guys are great. They're super friendly. They're lovely. They're great. I have nothing bad to uh, Yeah. Those ones I don't have a problem eating. Uh, they make great pets, though, and they also make really good pack goats, surprisingly and weirdly. Which pack goats is a thing. Uh, but a lot of people use their, their milk goats as pack goats because they've got kind of a lighter frame and they can still hold a lot. But your uh, your uh, border goats, man, they can hold, I think it's like 120 pounds. They can take of your gear if you put it on them correctly and then they'll just uh, hike along with it. Just ride along next to you, follow you up and down the trails, eat all their own food while they're on the, on the go. And super fun. So a bunch of pack goat people. It's more of, of a thing kind of in uh, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Utah, places like that. Um, it has been spreading back east a bit. But overall, if you're looking, you might have to look pretty hard on a Facebook groups to find something locally. It's not a thing around here. I've looked for it. Because I think it would be really cool to try to convince my wife I need a pack goat. <laughs> no. Like, we're going to go fishing at the ocean, sweetie. We need something to carry this, the, all the fishing poles out the end of the jetty. Pack goat. But, uh, yeah. Um, Only because I had one really bad experience with a goat. I was pregnant. I was, I believe I was like either seven. I was like six or seven months pregnant with our little girl. And the goat that we had on the farm um, had a crush on my husband, evidently. Goatlet. And tried, yeah, she was a goatlet. And she tried ramming into my belly a couple of times. And it, was, it got pretty scary there at one point. And so I decided that, nope, goats are not my friends. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. All you got to do is beat her back a little bit. No, just... and, and he would tell me, you know, grab her by the horn, show her who's boss. And I was six, seven months pregnant. I was not in a condition where... I could be aggressive in any way or, you know, I mean, I know most women do, but I had a very delicate pregnancy, so I was very terrified of everything. So not a good experience for me. Yeah. So goats are easy, guys. Goats are super easy. They're one of the most, uh, most as far as the larger livestock go, one of the most farmed uh, worldwide. Really, really easy to take care of. Meat, super delicate, super delicate tasting, super good, as long as you stay away from uh, intact males. I see. 
That's great. Our daughter is very, very entertained right now, telling us giant stories. Um, <laughs> so, uh, when you process a goat, you're going to treat it a lot like a deer. It's going to process almost exactly like a deer. They're goats, or deer, or somewhere between goats and sheep. So, you can process a goat just like a deer. They look very, very similar when they're, when they're processing. They look very similar on the inside. There's uh, the meat's very similar looking. Uh, I think the goat meat is, when treated right, goat meat is quite good. I've made a lot of goat meat sausage, and um, it was delicious. And nobody ever knew it was goat. Uh, so goats, yeah, I, I, give goat, I give goats probably a 7 out of 10. Yeah. One of the big problems with goats is you must have extremely good fencing. Goats have not, they're smarter than they look, and they have nothing better to do 24-7, 365, than try to find ways out of your pen. So you can't half, you can't half, half do uh, a goat's uh, pen. It works better if it's kind of floppy at the top versus like super, super hard at the top. I've seen, we've, I've had like, juvenile uh, boar goats climb over like three foot tall horse fence that was really really tight so they could just put the little hooves in there and just climb it like a ladder and then just flop over the side and then be all excited because they were out now in the vegetable patch so it works better if they're a little floppy so as they climb it bows in towards them um and then they just fall they back really high too and they jump they are quite athletic you tell mom to be quiet. Yeah. Monster. I'm here trying to participate, and my daughter's hushing me. Lovely. Great. At least she's trying to tell you to be quiet because you're going to wake up the chicken. Yeah. Anyway. So goats, eh, they're pretty, pretty, they're pretty easy. Uh, as far as everything else, then uh, let's move into something very similar to goats. We have sheep. There are a ton of varieties of sheep. Uh, you've got milk sheep. You have... Fur sheep, you have hair sheep, you have meat sheep, you have dual purpose sheep. I don't have a lot of experience with sheep. About the only experience I've ever had with sheep are what are called baby dolls. And uh, they're they're more of a show type sheep and they're uh, they're adorable. And if I pulled up a picture of them, my wife would want one immediately. <laughs> I really would. I've seen it already. And I was actually waiting for the perfect time to ask you for one. Have you seen these little guys? Like, look at these. Look, they look like they're just—they so look like they're little so fluffy cute. babies all the time. So cute! You can see, there's a little baby on a baby doll. They're—they're they're adorable. See, that would be a pet. They're a pet. Yeah. I mean, there are people that uh, that they use them. That's um, a goat. A lot of people use them as weeders. Dad, that's so cool. Because they don't—they can't reach the the the, the tree limbs. They can't nip anything off. Also, goat, uh, goats are browsers. Sheep are are, um, are grazers. So sheep just run along, click, 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 like a lot more, whereas goats reach up and like like a deer. They just kind of chew on everything. So super easy to take care of. Baby doll sheep are really not that expensive. Outside of, outside of a food source, what other benefits does it have to own a baby doll sheep? Uh, cuteness. Uh, you can shave baby doll sheep. They do have pretty decent uh, fur. 
You are going to need to be near a wool and mohair place. There's a couple of them not too far from here where you can uh, you can sell uh, your, your fur from it unless you wanted to actually take and process it yourself, uh, which is an option. I mean, it's always an option to everybody to be able to process it yourself. You get They do have quite a bit of lanolin. Don't spray that. That's your bug spray, sweetie. Yeah, give that to mom. So they do have quite a bit of lanolin, so you're going to have to boil it off once you shear them. Uh, the lanolin's great to save and use a salve or add to soap or just having some pure lanolin around a lot of the times. is great for chapped, like, baby faces, like, uh, you know, rub hot spots on your feet or rub, you know, like, raw spots on your legs or arms. It's, it's great to have lanolin around. Yeah, I've used it several times to make my own lotion at home, my own beauty products. I love lanolin. Oh, lanolin's great. Can't say enough nice things about lanolin. Uh, lanolin's awesome. Now, uh, that's pretty much it for as far as sheep go, guys. I don't know a lot about them because uh, I haven't done a lot with sheepsises. Sheepsises? Sheepsises? Sheeplets? Sheeplets? Back. What's that? What what Daddy, noise does the sheep make? What sort of noise does the sheep make? That's no it goes meh. That's close enough. That'll do. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do. Uh alright, so we hit our baby doll sheep. We hit our sheep. I don't know enough about sheep. I'd love to play with them. I don't know enough about them. Now let's talk about my wife's current uh, love in life, uh, probably more so than me. Mini cows. <gasps> yeah. Mini Jersey cow. That's my that's my hopes and dreams right there, guys. So I want to get a mini mini Jersey. They produce anywhere from two to four gallons of milk a day. Totally prepared to take on that responsibility. And yes, it is a huge decision that you have to make within your household because it comes with a wealth of responsibility. It's not just set it and forget it. You know, you have to get up in the morning, you have to milk them, you have to milk them in the evening, you know, make sure that, they, that they're that they comfortable, you know, and, and they are also herding animals, so that made my husband have to buy me a second one. So when we get our, our property, I will be getting a mini Highland, so I'm going to have a mini Jersey, mini Highland. Have You know, if you guys want to help me decide on the names, let me know, um, but definitely prepare to take on the responsibility to, you know... Uh, yeah, process. I guess process. Is it process the milk or? That's really easy though. Yeah, yeah. I love doing that. Yeah, make... so I'll be milking, so I'll can yeah. uh, make cheeses, butter. Really big on that. Oh yeah, we've yeah, been making cheese and butter for a that. long time. It's really actually very easy. It is it's very not... easy, and it's so delicious too. We should do an episode one of these days on, on making cheese and butter. Oh, we will. It's a lot of fun, guys. It really is. It, it, if it was really difficult, humans to make your own food. Humans would have never evolved to, to, to go to space, right? It's it's way easier to make your own food than everybody makes it out to be. Now, all it is is a little bit of equipment and a little bit of knowledge. And it doesn't even require very specialized equipment to make very successful cheeses and butters. You don't, where's your, where's your abomination juice? It's over there. It's over there by the sofa. We got a juicer, and I made her some juice I call the Abomination. It's like mandarin oranges, apple, uh, and grape, and kiwi. And it's just random just stuff thrown in there. And She loves it. She it's loves delicious. 
I call it the abomination, and she loves it. It gives her, it, it's a break from her normal, uh, like, just straight apple juice that she drinks. Make sure and get, she's getting a variety of stuff. So, many cows. Love them to death. Uh, I like, she wants the West Highlands because it's fluffy and cute and Instagrammy. I want to comb his hair forward. <laughs> He's going to be very emo. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. Well, I know that we're going to eat the babies. All right? Because you're going to have, like, what is the, what is the, uh, the baby of that going to be? Right? It's not going to be anything that, that, that anybody's going to want to buy. And I want meat. So uh, it's going to be a combination that, that we have. The West, the West Highland Westies are a combo meat, hair, uh, and a little bit of milk. Uh, guys, they're not super well known for milk. Uh, but then you've got the mini jerseys who are just milk, right? Uh, people do eat them occasionally, but they're not going to pack it on like your Angus or something. Now, if she'd let me do substitute the jersey for a mini Angus or something like that, then uh, we'd be good to go. But we could, not the jersey, but like the, because uh, we definitely want milk, but sorry, but the, the Westie, the West Highland, then we could do, we'd have meat all the time. But honestly, an intact West Highland, if we got one that has good genes, we'd be able to, uh, to rent it out or loan it out for breeding. Or just have people bring their female here to have a bread. So, overall, it would work its way. It'd work out. It'd work out. But we definitely gonna have we we definitely have a baby or so a year that we would have to do something with, and that would probably involve freezer cow. Cows are super easy to take care of. Uh, the things you've got to worry about them is parasites. They do get parasites pretty easily. The best way to, to keep them from doing that is don't let them stand in their own poo. Don't let them stand in, like, water. Uh, don't let them eat a bunch of nasty stuff off the ground. We see people all the time just taking a bale of hay and throwing it out there on the ground and letting them munch on it all the time. That's not the best way. Use a creep feeder. Use Put your feet up off the ground. It's not that difficult to build a, uh, a hay bale holder or a feeder platform. Uh, unless you're doing a large volume of cattle where you're going to use a round bale feeder that's going to be the bottom part of the bale is going to be on the ground, but you're not worried about it being on the ground for a long period of time because those guys are just going to go in there and just decimate it in a couple of days. But if you're just doing a small farm-type situation, uh, a few cattle, um, and then occasionally mixing uh, up a little bit of silage for them, uh to where you can give them a little bit of fermented food because cows like to be drunk too. But if mix up a little bit of fermented food for them and then put some diatomaceous earth in there so that once they eat it, it can go in there and kind of get rid of some of the hemoliths, uh, which are like various types of intestinal back, intestinal uh, uh, worms. It can kind of mess those up and get those out of their system a little bit. It, I am a big proponent of medicine. So uh, modern medicine, is, is, as you all know, if you've been listening to the show, I am in medicine, and so I am not going to shy away from giving a dewormer or um, using an antibacterial on my cattle if they have a disease or sickness. 
So, uh, but if I can get away with doing it uh, natural and organically, I will. You can grow the vast majority of your cattle, your small cattle's food on, if you only have two cattle, on two and a half, three acres of land, you should, and you have decent soil, and you're doing good rotational cropping, and you're not, uh, and you're irrigating a little bit, you should be able to uh, produce most of your food you need. Now, you're going to probably in the middle of like the dead, dead of winter or the, the, the middle of absolute summer in the south, uh, you're going to have to, you know, bring in a little bit of hay. But if you're doing miniature cattle, uh, you, you don't really have to, you're not going to be hit with that feed bill of having to buy a ton of hay a week, right? They're not going to eat that much. What will also benefit of having miniature cattle and eating miniature cattle and raising miniature cattle to eat is that right now they're a big fad and everybody wants them. So you gotta, they're bringing top freaking dollar if you're selling them as pets. Also, once they realize that that little tiny pet cow that they can pick up and carry around right now is going to turn into an 800-pound beast eventually, they're, gonna want, uh, they're not going to want to eat it, one. They're going to want to get rid of it somewhere. And nobody's going to want to take it as far as uh, um, a shelter. Uh, you know, they're going to, that you can always have them sign a certificate if they're going to buy one of your cattle for pets or whatever that you get first dibs if they ever don't want to have it anymore. To, that where you won't buy it back, but you'll take it back. Right? So it's basically at that point, you're, you're renting them the cow for a. Uh, for a year or so until they realize, holy crap, it's big, and then give it back to you. So at that point, they might give it back to you, and it's ready to butcher, and it goes right to freezer camp. Mm -hmm. And one one cow is enough to feed your family for a year. Yeah, well, one full-size cow. What we're getting there is it that um, it depends on your size of your family. We eat a lot of beef. So we usually do one full-size cow Per, per year, one mm -hmm. head of cattle. We can even get away with splitting one, honestly. Like, if you have yeah. a close friend, family, you know, family, whatever, you guys uh, buy the cow together, agree to raise it at, at someone's on someone's property, you know, agree who's going to feed it and, and be responsible for the cow, fatten it up, and then um, process it, and then you have enough meat for two families for a year, I would say. I think that was plenty yeah, enough. we did. We end up giving away quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, but we do produce like we do. Our, I do all my own butchering, but we do make a lot of things out of it: jerky and roasts and um, sausage and summer sausage. And, I mean, we tried it in burger and all types of steaks. With, a lot of burger. The burger is amazing, yeah. guys. Whenever, if you've ever had the opportunity to eat, um, you know, meat or, or burger from a actual farm, farm-raised animal, I mean, you can just tell the difference. I mean, my family would come over and they'd be like, uh, do you have any burger meat? And do you have more burger meat? And I could just not, I couldn't give them enough. And they were like, it just tastes so different. Um, it was just a lot cleaner of an experience and it was just It delicious. has flavor, too. Mm -hmm. It's not, not the bloody flavor that you get right. from... Uh, Grocery store. Uh, grocery store stuff with a bunch of blood in it. If you treat your animal right, remember one bad day of the year, and that that they're they're never stressed out. They're not on a bunch of hormones. They're not on a bunch of crap. They're eating a good, clean, healthy, healthy diet. You're sub you're supplementing with a little bit of grain. You're supplementing a little bit of protein feed. Uh, you're going to end up with animals that taste 
the quality of them is, is miles above anything that you're going to be able to get in the grocery store. They just can't make it work out economically mm -hmm. in a grocery store. But, but we there's so know many ways that you can, you know, I mean, if monetizing a cow is your objective, well, that was you different. know, there's, I mean, that was different. Was that like a U-Haul, high-speed U-Haul? In the country, yeah. I don't know what that was. It was a high-speed U-Haul chase just went by a guy. That was pretty interesting. Bunsies. <laughs> anyway, um, but... What I was getting at is that if you wanted to monetize, you know, having yeah. livestock or having San Antonio, I mean, you're 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 talking butter, you're talking um, I saw. cheese, you're talking, um, you know, um, you're talking small animals, the calves, you're talking meat, you're talking, you know, all kinds of stuff. You just have to check the laws in your state. And then you could also sell dairy and meat products and, and things like that to increase your homestead income. You know, if yeah. homesteading is what you're solely surviving on, like that's a good option and an alternative for you too. Yeah, and then selling, and then if you get, if you do, if you look at your animals, your breeder stock animals as an investment, and you don't go for just the first pets you find on Craigslist, and you actually shop around and buy high quality ones, you now have the, those genetics that you can sell to other people. Right, you can take your cow, your your bull, and because I mean I've never ha owned a bull that was that was that was mean, because I love on them. Right, first there, it's really hard to not like a cow uh, that you've had since it was a little baby, because it wants to follow you around. It want the herd animals. It's curious. It's just gonna be next to you constantly. You can lay it, take a nap up against it if you wanted. That uh, I've always had bulls that I treated like little babies, and they've always been just follow you around, stick the head in the car, see what you do, what you doing, man? You know, they're just big goofy, <laughs> goofy guys, and they'll let you love them, let the baby ride on the back of them. They don't care. They're not. They're not angry. They're just really super chill. But you can always, if you teach them, it's easy to load up into the horse trailer. You can take them for a conjugal time at the vet. And it's going to cost you four to six hundred bucks, which seems like a lot of money. But you take them to the vet. The vet uh, milks them. Mm -hmm. Those things. Yeah. And then puts all of that in cryogenic storage for you. And then now then gives you a, like an EIN type number. Like a number that, that allows you to, to register that product on the open market. And now you can sell what are called straws. They're just little straws, like little pixie straws. Each one holds just a very small amount. And ship them all over the United States directly from your veterinarian. And you mean you don't touch anything, you don't do anything, you don't handle anything. It's all automated. You just put it out there and people buy it. And, you know, you're looking at four to $600 for straws if you have the right type of genetics. So if you bought your, if you went and you could, you have the option between buying a four hundred dollar mutt of a cow and buying a sixteen hundred dollar purebred with with lines, and you intend to use that for milking, or uh, you intend to raise that West Highland bull to breed to your milk cow like we do, uh, which will eventually make mongoloids that we eat. <laughs> But we'll have that cow occasionally conjugal visited and then sell the straws of semen. 
that will be uh, an extra income for the farm. It might not come out to a lot, guys. It might, it, but once it's there and it's on storage, it's a nominal fee of like a hundred bucks a year to store that semen, and it will go. It'll last for 10, 15, 20 years, and pay for its dang self. And if you get, if you sell ten straws or a year, that's an extra four to six thousand dollars a year. That that's a that's a, that's a nice car payment, right? That's that's a Put just put the money in the oh crap fund in case something happens. That's 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 almost send your kid to private school fund, right? So if you treat your animals as an investment, your original breeding stock is an investment. You'll be much better off once you get up to something like a cow, right? So cow cattle are are investment. Cattle are a lot of work. They're great. I love them to death. They could be part of your family, especially make sure your breeders are part of your family. You don't want a jumpy milk cow. You want that cow to be, you want to be able to touch it all over its dang body at any time and not have it freak out because you're going to be milking it. I do not suggest you go out there and think you're going to anti-oakley it and just milk by hand. It is not a party. I'm going to go ahead and let my wife milk my hand just so just she gets it out of her system. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to the apparatus that I attach. Yeah. So it helps me milk the cow. Which they is make a whole quite efficient. It's really cool. It just goes right in that two and a half gallon jug and it's just a little vacuum pump. There's a little cylinder. All it does is vacuum on, vacuum off, and it plugs right. They're battery powered ones. You want to plug right in the wall. Uh, I love old-timey skills, but if I can find ways to simplify old-timey skills, oh, yeah. I'm all for it. Me too. Yeah. No. Modern. I love old-timey. Modern old-timey. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Modern old-timey. <laughs> what is that? What like a steampunk farm? <laughs> there <you laughs> Steampunk farm. Yeah. Very much. Very much steampunk farm. So, lots of fun. Uh, definitely do that. I think we've kind of covered cattle pretty pretty well. Yeah, and, and just you guys, just give you guys, you know, some peace of mind. If if you don't know how to butcher animals, learn. There's wealths of knowledge out there. There's books. Oh, yeah. you, know, you can find books on Amazon by Stephen Ranella, Adam Ganforth, you know, John J. Mettler. You know, they have great books and that have great ratings, and they teach you how to process animals. Oh, the small it farm and homestead butchery. Yeah, that's exactly. a great book. It doesn't have to have one, one, one of those books on the shelves, yeah. you know? I mean, what happens when the internet goes out if that ever happens? You know what I mean? Like, you're limited in, in resources and, and what you have, right, on your bookshelf. So definitely put some of those very important books on your bookshelf. Um, and those are the ones that I highly recommend, along with some gardening ones, and, um, some processing, fermenting, and all that. You know? Yeah. Oh, those are great books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we have a whole bunch of, we have a, a bunch of butchery books. a bunch books, of books. And uh, I refer to them occasionally. Like, oh, even though I've been butchering my own animals for decades, I uh, I still, before, the night before, the day before, I still go and brush up on everything just to make sure. Because it's a, it's it's an investment. We've invested a lot in that animal. Mm -hmm. And we've also, like, it's worth a lot to have, you, you know, you're going to be dealing with your your meat for the year. Mm -hmm. um, 
What and else? if you wanted to go yeah. out and get your license, like there's, you can monetize that. Well, and we we talked process, about it last episode. Yeah, They're paying people to do that. That for people, you yeah. Process their animals, their livestock. There's people that don't want to do it, and they look for local professionals that can do it. So by all means, that's a skill set that's I very much a dying skill set. Love. My husband would love to go to butchery school. Um, it, we're working towards that guy. So I would again, love to have you know, a mobile butchery. Yeah, that would be amazing. There used to, that used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Mobile butcheries used to be just as common as the milkman and he would just they'd come into town and they'd eat at the local diner and they'd put their you know they'd have their their tr- their panel truck up there blah blah jim bob's local you know, mobile butchery and then uh people would know they're in town and come down and get them and say hey we're out there on the north 40 i'm back outside town blah 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 and they'd stop by and take care of the critters like I- i'd love to have a mobile butchery I think it would be great. It, it would not only be great for us, as one, it doesn't bother me at all, uh, especially when I'm not attached to the animal. <laughs> but I still tear up if I have to put down my own cow that I loved and loved on all the time. Because remember, only so. one bad day a year. But, you know, I want them to have to feel loved and, and, and have the best food and the best environment. And I think it makes them taste better. I don't know if that makes know, me like a crazy like, alpha predator. No, it's kind of like you're paying homage to it. It's, it's very, it's a, the, the feeling is not light and airy and like, oh, we're having a party, a butcher party, a processing party. It's not like that at all. It's it's almost like you're paying your respects to the cow that is able to feed your family for a year. And It's kind of like a wake. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really is. And that's, that's the, that's the feeling anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a wake a little bit. If you, even if you watch the videos of other people butchering and doing like old-timey butchering on YouTube, it kind of has that wake-type feeling just because everybody's like, ah, we love this animal. Yeah, yeah. It's not we like, have pictures of it. But it was know, a little baby. Processing these, when these big conglomerates are processing animals, you know, it's very inhumane. There's a lot of animal cruelty, starvation, abuse, not to mention like not meeting regulations you know, often uh, penalized in violation of health codes, things like that. You know, they're, they're processing 20 million chickens annually in the U.S., 330,000 pigs, and 166,000 cows. That's I a mean, lot. It's just very desensitized all around. It's very, very graphic. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, it rubs me the wrong way. And I know that, you know, of course, like, I mean, I do my best. We have to, to have industrial home, farming yeah, we to have feed to have the masses. Farming, but, but that doesn't mean you have to be part of right, it. Right, exactly. We, we, we expect a, a higher, uh, we expect better from our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> we, we expect better from ourselves. That's part of our ethos is that, we, you know, we just expect better. We expect you to do better. As part of our like listener and we don't family, expect perfect, you know. But if you could curb some of that buying at you know these fast food chains and things like that, and support local farms and local businesses or local restaurants that are um, you know part of a closed loop system, then go for it. You know that's going to make you feel great. You're going to be eating a lot better than you would be any of that junk that's processed. You know, and you if, know, it's outside, if, if it's outside, of your, if it's outside of your your ability to do so financially, I don't expect you to. I don't expect you to put yourself. Uh, if the difference is between you eating, like you know, being able to eat you know ten pounds of freaking meat from Walmart versus one pound of meat from you know Joe's farm down yeah. the road, I expect you to to take care of yourself and get the ten pounds of meat. 
Yeah. Right. But if you have the financial ability to do so, uh, it would behoove you to, what's a good term for behoove? It's a military term. Anyway, it would be in your best interest to support your local economy. But, and that's funny, right? Like, you know, your your local farmers are, you know, it comes at a premium price and that's the downside. Um, but again, that's why we encourage you to learn how to do this on your own. And maybe, you know, bootstrap and save for the first animal and then, you know, see how it goes. And, and that pays, it pays itself off in spades, right? Because you're going to have enough money. I mean, you're going to have enough meat in your freezer for a year, half a year, whatever. Um, and in the long term, it does pay itself back, right? But it, there is an initial investment. What did we do? Our last, uh, our last uh, cow. I think we bought it off as a uh, young bull mm -hmm. that was castrated already off of Craigslist, and I think we paid seven hundred dollars for it. Six hundred. Six hundred dollars for it, and then we fed it out, and it, we, it ended up costing about four hundred and fifty dollars or so to yeah. feed it the rest of the way out. And then we ended up with an ungodly amount of meat. We like, had enough meat to feed four families, guys. Yeah. Four families. And that was amazing. And, and that was a full, now that's a full-size Angus cow, right? Uh, that, it, I would not suggest somebody go out there and try to deal with that quantity right. of meat right off the bat. It is very... Um, it's a ton of work. It's it took, a ton of work. It took six of us to process yeah. that that cow. So, uh, yeah, it's a ton of work. We we do kind of assembly line style where we mm -hmm. put out all these like uh, these uh, folding tables, and then we have one person just breaking down to primal cuts, and then another person, then then the bones and everything move down to the next person who's doing scrapping, which is where you're cutting off all the little pieces and you're chucking them in a bowl, and all, all of that's going to go to sausage and burger and then we have the final person who is over there that's now packaging things that are that are actually known cuts right they're taking those primal cuts and turning them into like steaks and turning them into everything else not to mention the hoisting system that you need you know yeah like a tractor or like a, a what was it, a wench or what did you we used the, we used a tractor the and tractor. but it was that cow was so freaking it huge, so huge that we ended up having to use uh it was an old new holland old ass tractor and we ended up having to take and put uh, pipes up underneath the bucket to keep it up in the air and I, I, that's one of the things about doing a full size cow you're looking at like you know almost almost one ton animal you're gonna get a thousand pounds of freaking seven hundred fifty thousand pounds of meat off it. and if you use like the bones and for, for meat bones and stock and everything else you're getting a lot of usage off of that, but that's a lot more than one family, even a big family, is going to be able to, to use. So we're switching over to do mini cows. It is much easier to deal with, you know, 350 to 400, 500 pounds of meat at the end of the day, which is like a, a, a medium-sized elk or maybe even a large elk. That and, and your average hunter can, you know, can can process that it's much easier to deal with 300 pounds of 350 pounds of meat to go and they breed pretty fast like you can have twins pretty common sometimes triplets if you have triplets you're going to need to take the smallest one away and and go ahead and just uh, bottle raise it but it's worth it 
because then now you have three times a year you can butcher. So when you when everything gets low, butcher gets low, butcher gets low, butcher. You're not stuck having one ginormous crazy few days of butchery. You can now but treat it more like a uh, weekend endeavor. When it comes to butchering very large animals like that, you need to do it in two days. You need to pick a cold day of the year. I'm not talking freezing. You don't want a freezing cold. You want the, the, the temperature overnight to be in the 40s. You want to raise your animal up, like feed first, and bleed it completely out. And then flip it around and raise it head first, and then skin it completely, and then take, uh, and then cows have this slimy layer on them, and we take uh, about a pound, we take, well, we try to cool the carcass down as fast as possible with well water. We spray inside, outside, the, the, run the run the cold-ass well water inside of the carcass until the carcass is as cool as the well water. We want to get rid of as much heat as possible off of that the carcass immediately after gutting them as possible. And uh, then we skin them, and then we throw about a pound of uh, kosher salt on the outside of them. Now, we found that if you take coarse ground black pepper, just the cheap stuff you can buy in bulk, um, and throw it on the outside that it keeps flies away as well. So... Uh, if you throw the you throw your salt and you throw your coarse ground black pepper on the outside, uh, what the salt is going to do is draw out any more blood. It's going to draw out any interstitial uh, fluids inside there, uh, and it's going to dry up all of those membranes that make them kind of slippery. So the next morning is when you're going to now start breaking down that cattle, that cow, while it's still cool in the morning. To where it's just quartered and everything else. At that point, it's going to start going to your assembly line. But it's much easier to deal with. One of the first things I do is I go and uh, all of those uh, membranes on the outside have now turned to a uh, almost like uh, vinyl kind of feeling. But you can cut a little bit and then grab it and just peel it off in huge sheets. And all the sliminess is gone. Now it's just like regular meat you'd buy in the grocery store. It works super, super well. Uh, it's probably one of my best tips when it comes to butchering cattle. They do this not, They do this by dry aging it in an air-conditioned area. But this is an old, like when you go to a custom butcher. Um, but as far as old-timey skills way, this is how it's done. Uh, then we take everything down that day two, and then we bring it inside and then work on it from there. That's mm -hmm. that's how everything else rolls. Freezer space, guys. Freezer space. You have to consider how much freezer space you have, how much you can fill, um, and any excess, like, where is that going to go? Yeah. Um, so we had a standing freezer that would get full, and we still, I mean, we had a, a, a surplus of, of, of meat that we had to, you know, family and which is cool you know they loved it they felt it made them feel good knowing that we raise an animal we process it for them so they completely trusted our ability to, to do this for them and, and feed their family so it, it was just it kind of a really nice just connection to have with people community again we're very big on community there's nothing that builds community quicker than you taking care of your neighbor and feeding their family so that's gonna that's gonna do something for cattle Yep. Uh, let's talk about pigs real quick. I freaking love pigs. Love them, love them, love them. Want lots of them. 
Unfortunately, he's so heartbroken. Oh, I'm so heartbroken. Where we're at, I'd have to get a variance in order to have a, a swine. swine. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to bribe them. I don't know. I might have to like just feed them random animal feed foods and make them stuff until they'll let me have a variance to raise a pig. I love homemade pork. It's so stinking easy. Pigs grow so fast. If you're growing pigs and you're feeding them correctly, like just from the garden, like growing mango beets, which we've talked about before, I believe, uh, for you guys, right? Like mangoes uh, and, and making your own, your own pig feed and stuff. If you're feeding them correctly, those little guys will gain like three quarters to a pound a day, and then you can use so you can use everything but the oink <laughs> on a pig, right? You use the intestines to make sausage. You use uh, you, you make uh, your gel, uh, gelatin, gelatin, and stuff like that from the hooves. You uh, the fat renders down so well. A little tip I'd give for people rendering fat is you want the fat that comes around. It's called leaf fat. It's from the inside of the animal around the kidneys up against the backbone. It looks like alien eggs. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, right? Yeah, that is. It kind of looks like it's on strings, and it looks like alien eggs, and it comes off in big sheets, and you just cut it all off, and it's so – it will melt at skin temperature. We that like was to, the best type of oil I, I've ever cooked with. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, one of the easiest ways to render that is in a crock pot. Just put it all in a crock pot, turn the crock pot on low, and cover the top of the crock pot with a uh, just a towel, and then let it go. And then just then go back to it, and then uh, ladle it all off. It's, it's, it's really, 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 really easy. Uh, and then all the other fat, we would make cracklings with it. Mm -hmm. Um God, pigs are so easy, guys. Uh, so much sausage. Like we'd make, we'd do our primal cuts. We'd have a roast, but everything else. But ninety percent of the stuff that we do with pigs is going to be some type of sausage. Sausage to us is we make, we make like basically three different types of sausage. We make a breakfast type sausage that we usually eat for breakfast. We make a chorizo, which we use for. Breakfast and beans and random cooking stuff. And uh, we add a, sometimes it's really cool to add a pound of your chorizo into your, your hamburger and mix it all up and then make a chorizo burgers out of it. Uh, and then we do a, just a generic sausage, which I make into patties, which we cook like burgers and have like uh, sausage burgers. We are big on various sausage. So, that's a loose sausage. Then I make... Oh, man, I could do an entire episode on sausages. Like, I love making sausage. I don't know why. I, I, it's just really, really fun to me. I have this giant, huge meat mixer doodad that does... I feel like it relaxes you. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, what his obsession is. <laughs> and I know that if, if it's a sausage-making day or a chorizo-making day, like, it's not just, like, a couple of packets, guys. Oh, I'm really? talking about, like, where is this going to fit... Who wants chorizo? Post it on my Facebook. If anybody wants some, let me know. I'm like, it's just that intense. But he just loves doing it, and he it's delicious, and it's clean. It, it tastes a lot cleaner than anything you buy. And it's fun, too. Lot. It's really fun. Yeah. I don't know why it's so fun. Like, I, I, I can't actually like point a finger at why I enjoy it so much. There's not any one particular thing. 
the entire process. And I make our daughter loves it too. Like she's right there. I'm gonna help. And uh, like she's sitting there throwing stuff through the the meat grinder, and she's real good about keeping her little tiny hands away from everything. And she just like I mean, I stand over the top of her. I'm not gonna let her do it by herself. But she has a great time with it. The the whole cutting strips up, and then I have a big uh, um, what is it, twenty pound meat stuffer thing. Like you crank the handle and it just stuffs yep. sausage stuffer. Twenty pounds. Uh, and uh, man, packing that thing right, and then you know, so you don't have air pockets, and then just getting it all and getting it, it all the working. Casing. Yeah, the he whole just thing. Loves the whole process. And then tying it up and putting the smoker and smoking <laughs> it. I mean, the whole process is great. You guys will have to visit our um, Instagram and uh, TikTok channels once we get them live and operational. Um, and see some of the images that we post on there. They're on there. I just he, haven't oh, uploaded yeah. everything. He just makes he. It's really an artistry with my husband. It's it's an artisanal uh, sausage making party, a chorizo making party. All uh, people love it. Like people love it, man. And we trade for it. Oh you know, yeah, people no. are like, hey, totally I'll underground I'll economy. Pay, I'll give you big goods if I, you know, get a pack of chorizo. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, man, I trade for stuff. Right. Like you can you can get a lot for uh for for meat, like well done meat. You can trade a surprising amount of crap. So, uh, yeah, like I, I trade things. Easily I'm beer. Bribe people, yeah. Easily bribed with beer. I'm easily bribed with beer. Uh, good beer. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, but uh, yeah, I just trade things or, hey, man, I got to dig a hole over here. Come help me. Um, you know, I'll give you some sausage. Yeah. I got summer sausage. But, uh yeah, I have a lot of fun labeling things. Uh, like when I put a sticker that just says "not cocaine," like on <laughs> for no reason, just so it turns out that if you go to one of those label making companies, the ones that make the address labels, that you don't actually have to make address put your address label in there. They'll put whatever you want on that address label, right? So I make them like that say stupid things, like. Uh, Let's see. Uh, my favorite was for uh, not for rectal use. I just had like an entire roll of stickers that just say, you know, not for rectal use. And just putting them on things that is just like completely random, like an apple or the Peloton. Just drives me The remote crazy. control. You just do it to irk me. <laughs> anyway, back to our <laughs> regular program show. Okay, so we've covered um, all the main yeah, a bunch of suspicious right? packages we wrapped up in brown. <laughs> they were like sausage, and I just happened to label them not cocaine, just so they were yeah. so def definitively new that people that break into the house or whatever they come over, they get a package from me, know that it's definitively not cocaine. <laughs> Um, so we have a, um, so we talked about guinea pigs, rabbits, goats, sheep, cows, pigs. Um, anything else that we're missing on mammals? The, no, I don't think. I think that's pretty much I it. I think for birds will cover on our next show because it's getting kind of late. So now we have to get into like our tree of the week, plant of the week. Yeah, we know? should do birds on the next show. Yeah, we should do birds. So that's a whole round yeah, Let me let me wind up real quick on, on my final stay on pigs. Is that pigs are not worth breeding? All right. So you can either do. Uh, there's an old tiny farm saying that you can breed, you can either breed pigs and sell pigs and make money, or you can you can raise pigs and like make money. 
But you can't do both, okay? Keeping those breeders happy on a farmstead is very, very difficult, all right? So if you want to, you can't, it, it's going to be very hard to close the loop with on a, let's say, three to five acre, like a little farm, little, even a 10 acre farm, because you're going to need three acres of corn, all right? Or, or three acres of sorghum or three acres of something, okay? In order, and then on top of that, your mangles uh, and everything else. So you're going to need three acres of feed to keep your breeders, if you just do uh, a male and three females, happy. But that male and three females, guys, that's that's potentially 30 freaking babies at a go. So you can, okay, well, I'm going to sell the babies off to kind of like offset the feed costs. But you still got those potentially six, seven hundred, eight hundred pound breeders that are throwing down and eating, you know, uh, 7,550, 300 pounds of freaking feet a week. So it's going to be one of those really difficult things, really difficult things to do. Now, breed selection falls a lot into this. Most of my experience has been with red wattle hogs, which are heirloom uh, type guys. They're in the slow food arcs of taste. They're great. They're delicious. They're fantastic. The, uh, the boars are usually pretty friendly. The uh, sows, when they are breeding, are not friendly at all. They will tell your face off. They will eat you. They are not cool. Um, what I would like to look at, and I have not had any experience in them at all, are the guinea hogs. Uh, they are a dual purpose. So when you talk about different breeds of hog, you have a meat hog. They're a lean hog. They're going to be have a long, skinny body, and they're kind of like a tube, like like round like a sausage all the way through. Um, and then you have a dual purpose, which they're going to be a lot heavier and fatter. They're going to have a little bit swayed back and stuff like that. And you're going to have a lard hog. The lard hogs are almost completely extinct uh, in America. There's a couple of them overseas, but just a straight lard hog, and a lard hog is going to produce more fat than it will meat. Um, so they're stupid. They're, they're great if you're going to produce a lot of lard, uh, which used to be a thing back in the day. But uh, nowadays, you're going to get enough lard for your family off of dual purpose or off of just a regular meat hog if you fatten it up a little bit. The way to fatten hogs up a little bit is to feed them massive amounts of carbohydrates, just like you do with humans. Uh, cheap places to get those carbohydrates. So if you are not one of those people who is like, oh, super crazy, everything has to be organic. You know, one of the best places you can go to get a whole bunch of carbohydrates for dang near nothing to feed your pigs? The bread store. There's a bread store in almost every town. That you can go to, like, we used to, growing up, we had the Wonder Bread store. Oh, and, yeah, I remember that store. Yeah, and it was like, it was like the stuff that Wonder Bread had that was about to be expired. Mm -hmm. You'd go there and buy, like, a loaf of bread for 20 cents or 25 cents, something like that. Oh, God, am I that old? But uh, You're showing your age. Uh, but it, sticking out of your collar there, honey. But it was, uh, you know, it was like, you know, the stuff that was about to go expired. Well, we would, we would go, all right, well, where's all the expired stuff? And they're like, well, you can just have it. It's back here in the dumpster. And then uh, it got to where the lady would just, because we would, we would trade her stuff, 
right? The owner of the Wonder Bread, was, I guess the manager or whatever, of the Wonder Bread store, we would trade her things and we left her own garbage can there. And she'd fill up the garbage can full of like donuts, and like Wonder Bread and bread and stuff like that. Well, we'd take it home and just dump that in and feed the, 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 the pigs. I mean, I don't know if you ever had a pig that's been raised on jelly donuts. Oh, <laughs> First off, it's got a lot of lard. And uh, it's actually quite good. It's quite delicious. But, uh, yeah, you can also uh, run them under your oak trees. Down here in Texas, we got oak trees like crazy. They will eat and hoover up every one of those oak acorns. That does really good things for them. But you must make sure they have a lot of fresh water during that time. Because you know, they'll build up kidney stones if you keep them for too long on oak. Anything that goes to waste that the chickens will not eat goes straight to the pigs. Even then, even if it's something the chickens will eat, you're gonna. If you have a, a homestead and you're growing vegetables and you're growing, you have your uh, your fruit trees out there and everything else, you're gonna end up with so much extra stuff anyway. You're gonna have eggs you don't know what to do with, just tons of them. Feed them to your pigs. Yep, and and growing vegetables and fruits and you know all that. That's just one step closer to increasing your self sufficiency, right? But animals play a huge part in that ecosystem so so many things that, that just help each other in tandem you know like eric's saying here you know an excess of of veggies and fruits then feed it to your pig you know feed your, your rabbit scraps it'll be the best dang scraps i'll ever eat you know if they have veggie scraps and so um yeah we're all about that closed loop system and just com being completely self-sufficient yeah there's no such thing as waste on your homestead and your farm there's just a, a niche you haven't figured out how to use yet or exploit yet. Mm -hmm. And we're happy to help you guys. We'll answer a million questions. Nobody's came on this one to ask questions yet. That's because uh, we're still new. -ish. Yeah, we're new. Uh, so Nobody knows we get the word out. If, if there's people out there that want to become self-sufficient, self-sustained, start a homestead, follow us on our journey, you know, step-by-step -step on everything that we're doing in order to make ourselves and our family uh, self-sustaining. And guys, just the prepper mantra is is two is one, one is none, right? So yeah. always keep that mindset and, and create those, you know, learn how to identify those single points of failure within your lifestyle. Um, I, I've been in technology for many, many, many years, and my role has played heavily on, you know, trying to identify any single points of failure within an environment, right? Whether it's a virtual environment, a hybrid environment, whatever the case may be. And so I just got really good at that. And then my mind, my mindset shifted and I was like, hey, like here I am identifying vulnerabilities in people's environments or, or companies' environments, but what about a vulnerability within my own personal lifestyle and, and my home? And what happens if, if this happens? And you always have to create those scenarios and it's not fear-mongering or anything like that. You're just being prepared and creating those scenarios so that you have a solution to a problem. Um, and that's just how I've been trained to think over the years. And so um, when I met my husband, it was just kind of like, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, angels, harps playing. And I mean, it was just like a perfect match because my husband, you know, he has the same thought process, but his was related to medical, related to farming, related to, and then I had the technical aspect of it. So it was just like we melded together perfectly. 
Um, but very, very important conversations to be having within your household um, so that you are prepared for anything. Um, and, and that's all that we encourage. And again, you know, look out for your neighbor, look out for, for people around you. And, and they're going to, that's going to, that's going to speak volumes to them as the type of character that you are, the type of person you are. A little bit of goodwill goes a long way. It really, really does. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about things in the news that I would keep an eye on if I were you. And this one's a huge one. So, um, I don't know if you've all seen it in the news. Uh, China's calling back its loans to dozens of countries bad. from Pakistan and Kenya. So, um, so already, you know, people are being laid off by the drones. Um, there's instability in the economic, um, you know, um, environments. You know, they're 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 foreseeing you know economic collapse because again, guys, everything works in tandem. Right, so if China's calling back its loans, if people are being laid off, then there's not enough workforce to to run operations, to run farms, to run processing plants, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? So then it just leads into this like spiral collapse of, of things that bad things that happen, right? Um, you're talking about implications on the food supply, keeping schools open, keeping food in schools, you know, um, fuel. Um, you know, all these things that work in tandem to provide food sources. It's going to set back gonna, these people like five yeah, to ten years. Yeah, so, easy. I mean, you really need to stop your dependency on these chain grocery stores, on these chain, um, you know, uh, fast food places. Because you just, you just don't want to rely so heavily on those types of source, sources of, of food, right? Um, and start small, you know. If, if you're in a situation where you're in an, in an urban, in a, in a suburb, you know, and... You know, that's okay. Like, start small. You know, you can have some, some like a chickens in, in your backyard. Yeah, a little victory garden. You know, you can grow so many. And trust me, it's really easy to grow an excess of stuff that you're not going to eat. Oh, cucumbers, really for example. Cucumbers. <laughs> oh, my jeez. Uh, cucumbers, lettuce, cabbage, you know. I, I couldn't find enough jars to ferment and, and things like that. And so you're always going to have an excess. So... Even if you have a small garden, that's going to be plenty enough for your household, uh, for your immediate household. Again, if you want to think about the community, you know, then obviously, you know, take care of your neighbors, you know, start a community garden. You guys, you know, get resources together. If you're growing 5% of your own food, you're saving 5% of that money. Exactly. It would normally go to food. Exactly. So 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, doesn't matter what it is. You're saving that money and you're investing it in yourself. Your family, your skills, and yourself. So, See, it's really, like today, really like in Pakistan, millions of textile workers have been laid off already. Millions, guys. That's millions of. Well, those are the guys that are making that are making your blue jeans. Yeah. That are making your 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 overalls, your shirts, everything like that. Most of that stuff comes from Pakistan now. And who knows how many of them are breadwinners in their household? And probably the majority. Know, probably of them. the majority of them. Um, so so very, that's an SHTF very, scenario for it those really people. Is. Very, very scary, uncertain times. And so in, in those times, you know, instead of dwell on the problem, you know, you find the solution. You frantically look for the solution, right? Whiteboard some things out. Write things on a, on a paper. Make a list, you know. Start checking things off of, of how you want to better prepare your family. Yeah. It's, it's scary. It's going to set those people back. A long time. Uh, you've got places that were super economically 
And it's a real dirty, underhanded thing that the China's done is they offered these guys really, really cheap, um, open-ended loans uh, for access to their natural resources. And then they went, and because China is currently getting to where they're starting to feel an economic pinch and have a collapse going on, they're calling loans in, and they're doing it from the outside fringes in. So they're hitting these economically depressed areas first, and it won't be long before they hit some of the other people, maybe even loans that they've given America, and they own a huge portion of our debt uh, before they start having to call that in. Look at this story. This is about the same news story talking about a gentleman named Mohammed Tahir who was laid off six months ago from his job at a textile factory in Pakistan, the city of Multan, says he has contemplated suicide because he can no longer bear to see his family of four go to bed night after night without dinner. How terrible is that? How terrible is that? So, you know, oh man, my heart breaks for, for him and his family and, and for everybody that's experiencing this, this hardship. I mean, you know, if only, you know, I could teach more and more people if we can teach more and more people how to grow food and how to how to survive. You know that'll that'll help me sleep at night. You know at least a little bit. This is all about putting a buffer between you and anything bad that could happen to you and your family, like this. It's it's about putting a buffer between you guys. Yeah, not to mention all the corruption, guys. Is going to go with this, right? Prices of grain, prices of things soaring, right? The control, the control. He who controls that food source has the power. And oh, you no. never want to give anybody that power or that control over you. You want to know that if anything happens, you're going to be okay no matter what. And that should be the mindset. All right. Let's talk about uh, the tree of the day. So the tree of the day is going to be the brown turkey fig. It has absolutely nothing to do with turkey. It has nothing to do with turkeys, and it's not from turkey. I don't know why. I always thought it was so weird why they never I don't that. know. Is it because of the... I mean, not even the leaves look like the turkey no, fanning leaves. I don't no, know. there was there was some confusion of where it originated from, and supposedly it came from Turkey, but it didn't. It comes from province, France. Do they produce big, delicious figs that I the, love? They're the brown tur the brown oh, figs that from the those. Those are garden. Yeah, those are my favorite. So figs are really cool. They've been grown by humans for at least eleven thousand years. So the brown turkey fig, uh, when it's grown here in America, it uh, produces two crops per year. You've got your first crop, uh, and then you've got your second actual, like, uh, productive, productive crop. Your first crop is called a brebe crop. Yeah, brebe crop. Um, and it's just, uh, like, a few small ones here or there. It's going to be about a tenth the size of your full crop in the fall. But it gives it's one of the first ones, first fruit it's going to throw out, like that honey sweetness, uh, sugary goodness. And um, I suggest to people, because it does throw out the breed crop pretty soon after it starts leaving up, and sometimes even before it starts leafing up real well, that you take those and you make syrup out of them. Uh, so you have, before your bees are ready, before anything's ready, you have uh, some syrup. And then from that, from your, from your main crop, you can uh, then make everything else. Uh, figs are super, super easy to uh, to cultivate. They're really, really hard to kill. Just put them in some ground and give them some water. Uh, 
If you want to cultivate more figs from your fig you already have, then you can take cuttings off of actively growing areas. Why are you actively growing uh, limbs and then just put them into a little bit of ball of peat moss. Put that in a Ziploc bag and it'll start rooting. And once it starts rooting, you'll pop it into a pot and you're good to go. So figs are awesome. Figs are great. Uh, there's a bunch of different varieties of figs. I just chose the brown turkey fig for the day because it's super easy to get a hold of. If you wanted to see all sorts of cool, crazy fig things, there's a bunch of fig trading uh, Facebook pages. Uh, there's a bunch of fig trading groups out there where they trade uh, starts to each other. They just wrap up the the, the end, the cuttings, in a uh, little ball of uh, peat moss and ship it to you. By the time it gets to you, it's usually rooted. So, super awesome. The plant of the day is going to be the habanata. The habanata is it's a habanero that has no heat in it. That's why it's called the habanata. It grows just like a habanero, looks like a habanero, tastes like a habanero, but it has zero heat. It is actually really pretty awesome. Uh, my favorite use for them is dried. It takes a ton of them to make a little bit of powder, but that powder is super habanero-y flavored. They're also super awesome in hot sauces. So if you wanted to make like a hot sauce or a uh, salsa, that you were already you like the heat of it already, but you wanted to add like the fruity undertones and uh, like the whole habanero awesomeness, but you don't want to increase the heat at all. You can add some habanadas. They grow great from seed. They are a really really vigorous plant. They don't really have any sort of problems or issues, and they make a ton of fruit. Uh, the fruit isn't super heavily thick, just like a habanero is like does not. Have a lot of meat on it, but you can just dehydrate it and grind it up, or freeze dry and grind it up, and you move it into your spice blends. Habanada salt is pretty kick butt on uh, chicken. It's really really good. With that being said, guys, and with nobody here to ask us any sort of questions or harass us at all, that's probably going to be it for today. You can find us on uh, Facebook. We have this feral life. Facebook page. We have a TikTok. What is it? TikTok, This Feral Life. Yeah, sweet. TikTok. If you want to go ahead and send us any sort of feedback, negative, positive, uh, asking sort of questions, stuff like that, you can go at thisferalifepodcast.gmail.com or at gmail.com. Uh, we also have our uh, Etsy, store. Etsy store. It's going to be thisferalife.etsy.com. You can find all sorts of interesting, uh, like, homestead-type uh, wares and goods there if you're interested. We appreciate our listeners. Love you guys to death. We're up to 45 or so of you guys now, which is awesome. Super happy about it. Uh, maybe we need to move our live stream time to an area. This is our first one, so we don't know how it's going to go. But maybe we'll move it to a time when there's more people awake. I mean, it's Monday night. Is there anything even on TV? I have no idea. I don't know. I, don't watch I have TV. no idea. But we're here, guys. We use this as a resource. You know, we're we're only here to spread positivity and love, and show you guys and teach you guys how to self-sustain and you know help your family survives survive in times of hardships. 
Uh, yeah, or even if it's not. Even regular. Yeah. <laughs> just a new lifestyle change. You want to grow food. You want to eat cleaner. You know, go for it. You know, Reducing your dependence on the system is mm-hmm. kind of our whole thing. And the more people that we can get to hear the message and, and teach one-on-one, and if we have to, we'll do it. All right, guys. Love our listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. And best of luck. Good night.